When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. Bedtime Stories on 1707 Radio. You're listening to The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Chapter 14. The Triumph of the Witch As soon as the witch had gone, Aslan said, we must move from this place at once. It will be wanted for other purposes. We shall encamp tonight at the fords of Baruna. Of course, everyone was dying to ask him how he had arranged matters with the witch, but his face was stern and everyone's ears were ringing with the sound of his roar, and so nobody dared. After a meal, which was taken in the open air on the hilltop, for the sun had got strong now and had dried the grass, they were busy for a while taking the pavilion down and packing things up. Before two o'clock they were on the march and set off in a northeasterly direction, walking at an easy pace for they had not far to go. During the first part of the journey, Aslan explained to Peter his plan of campaign. As soon as she has finished her business in these parts, he said, the witch and her crew will almost certainly fall back to the house and prepare for a siege. You may or may not be able to cut her off and prevent her from reaching it. He then went on to outline two plans of battle, one for fighting the witch and her people in the woods and another for assaulting her castle. And all the time he was advising Peter on how to conduct the operations, saying things like, you must put your centaurs in such and such place, or you must post scouts to see that she doesn't do so and so, until at last Peter said, but you'll, you'll be there yourself, Aslan. Well, I can give you no promise of that, answered the lion, and he continued giving Peter his instructions. For the last part of the journey, it was Susan and Lucy who saw most of him. He did not talk very much, and he seemed to them to be sad. It was still afternoon when they came down to a place where the river valley had widened out, and the river was broad and shallow. This was the fords of Baruna, and Aslan gave orders to halt on this side of the water. But Peter said, wouldn't it be better to camp on the far side for fear she should try a night attack or anything? Aslan, who seemed to have been thinking about something else, roused himself with a shake of his magnificent mane and said, uh, sorry, what's that, Peter? And then Peter said it all over again. No, said Aslan in a dull voice, as if it really didn't matter. No. She will not make an attack tonight. And then he sighed deeply. But presently he added, All the same, it was well thought of, and that is how a soldier ought to think. But it doesn't really matter. So they proceeded to pitch their camp. Aslan's mood affected everyone that evening. 
Peter was feeling uncomfortable too at the idea of fighting the battle on his own. The news that Aslan might not be there had come as a great shock to him. Supper that evening was a quiet meal, and everyone felt how different it had been last night or even earlier in the morning. It was as if the good times, having only just begun, were already drawing to their end. This feeling affected Susan so much that she couldn't get to sleep, even when she went to bed. And after she'd lain counting sheep and turning over and over, she heard Lucy give a long sigh and turning over just beside her in the darkness. Can't you sleep either, said Susan. No, said Lucy. I thought you were asleep. I say, Susan, what? I, I've the most terrible feeling, as if something were hanging over us. Have you? Because as a matter of fact, so have I. It's just something about Aslan, said Lucy. Either something dreadful is going to happen to him, or something dreadful that he's going to do. There has been something wrong with him all afternoon, said Susan. Lucy, what was that he said about not being with us at the battle? You don't think he could be stealing away and leaving us tonight, do you? Where is he now, said Lucy. Is he here in the pavilion? I don't think so. Susan, let's go outside and have a look around. We might, we might just see him. All right, let's, said Susan. We might as well, rather than lying here awake. Very quietly, the two girls groped their way amongst the other sleepers and crept out of the tent. The moonlight was bright and everything was quite still, except for the noise of the river chattering over the stones. Then Susan suddenly caught Lucy's arm and said, Look, on the far side of the camping ground, just where the trees began, they saw the lion slowly walking away from them into the woods. Without a word, they both followed him. He led them up the steep stone steps out of the river valley and then slightly to the right, apparently by the very same route which they had used that afternoon in coming down to the valley from the hill where the stone table stood. On and on he led them into the dark shadows and out into the pale moonlight, getting their feet wet with the heavy dew. He looked somehow different from the Aslan they knew. His tail and his head hung low, and they walked slowly, as if he were very, very tired. Then they were crossing a wide open space, for there were no shadows for them to hide in, and he stopped and looked around, and it was no good for them to try running away, so they came towards him, and when they were closer he said, Oh, children, children, why are you following me? Well, we couldn't sleep, said Lucy, and then felt sure she didn't need to explain any further, for Aslan knew all that they had been thinking. Please, may we come with you wherever you're going, asked Susan. Well, said Aslan, and he seemed to be thinking, and then he said, I should be glad 
of the company tonight. Yes, you may come, if you will promise to stop when I tell you, and after that, leave me to go on alone. Oh, thank you, thank you, and we will, said the two girls. Forward they went to Gren. One of the girls walked each side of the lion, but how slowly he walked, and his great royal head drooped so that his nose nearly touched the grass. Presently he stumbled and gave a low moan. Aslan, dear Aslan, said Lucy, what is wrong? Can't you tell us? Are you ill, dear Aslan? asked Susan. No, said Aslan. I am sad and lonely. Lay your hands on my mane so that I may feel that you are there and let us walk like that. And so the girls did what they would never have dared to do without his permission. But what they had longed to do ever since they'd first saw him. They buried their cold hands in the beautiful sea of fur and stroked it, and in doing so walked with him. And presently they saw that they were going with him up the slope of the hill onto which the stone table stood. They went up the side where the trees came furthest up, and when they got to the last tree, it was one that had some bushes about it, Aslan stopped and said, O children, children, here you must stop, and for whatever happens, do not let yourselves be seen. Farewell. And both the girls cried bitterly, although they hardly knew why, and they clung to the lion, and they kissed his mane and his nose and his paws and his great sad eyes, and then he turned from them and walked on to the top of the hill. And Lucy and Susan, crouching in the bushes, looked after him, and this is what they saw. A great crowd of people were standing around the stone table, and though the moon was shining, many of them carried torches which burned with evil-looking red flames and black smoke. But such people, ogres with monstrous teeth, and wolves, and bull-headed men, and spirits of evil trees, and poisonous plants, and other creatures whom I won't describe, because if I did, the grown-ups probably wouldn't let you read this book. Hags, and wraiths, and horrors, and sprites, and orkneys, and rooses, and ettins. In fact, here were all those who were on the witch's side, and for whom the wolf had summoned at her command. And right in the middle, standing by the table, was the white witch herself. A howl and a gibber of dismay went up from the creatures when at first they saw the great lion pacing towards them. And for a moment, even the witch seemed to be struck with fear. And then she recovered herself and gave a wild, fierce laugh. The fool, she cried, the fool has come. Quick, bind him fast. Lucy and Susan held their breaths, waiting for Aslan's roar and his spring upon his enemies. But it never came. 
Four hags, grinning and leering, yet also at first hanging back and half afraid of what they had to do, had approached him. Bind him, I say, repeated the white witch. The hags made a dart at him and shrieked with triumph when they found he'd made no resistance at all. And then others, evil dwarfs and apes, rushed in to help them, and between them they rolled the huge lion over on his back and tied all four paws together, shouting and cheering as if they'd done something brave. Though, had the lion chosen, one of those huge paws could easily have been the death of them all. But he made no noise. And even when the enemies, straining and tugging, pulled the cords so tight that they cut into his flesh, they then began to drag him towards the stone table. Stop, said the witch. Let him first be shaved. Another roar of mean laughter went up from her followers as an ogre with a pair of shears came forward and squatted down by Aslan's head. Snip, 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 went the shears, and masses of curling gold began to fall to the ground. And then the ogre stood back. The children, watching from their hiding place, could see the face of Aslan looking all small and different without his mane. The enemies also saw the difference. Why? He's only a great cat after all, cried one. Is that what we were afraid of, said another. And they surged round Aslan, jeering at him and saying things like, Here, Puss Puss, here, Puss Puss, how many mice have you caught today, cat? Would you like a saucer of milk, dear Puss? Oh, how can they, said Lucy, tears streaming down her cheeks. The brutes, the absolute brutes. For now the first shock was over. The shorn face of Aslan looked to her braver and more beautiful and more patient than ever. Muzzle him, said the witch. And even now, as they worked about his face, pulling a muzzle, one bite from those jaws would have cost two or three of them their hands. But he never moved. And this seemed to enrage all that rabble. Everyone was at him now. Those who had been too afraid to come near him, even when he was first bound, seemed to now find their courage. And for a few minutes, the two girls could not see him, for he was so thickly surrounded by a whole crowd of creatures kicking, hitting, spitting and jeering at him. At last, the rabble had had enough of this. They began to drag the bound, muzzled lion to the stone table some pulling and some pushing. He was so huge that they'd even got, that even when they'd got him there, it took all their efforts to hoist him onto the surface. Then there was more tying and tightening of cords. The cowards, the absolute cowards, sobbed Susan. Are they still afraid of him even now? When once Aslan had been tied, and tied so that he really was just a mass of cords on the flat stone. A hush fell on the crowd. Four hags holding four torches stood at the corners of the table. 
and the witch bared her arms as she had bared them the previous night when it had been Edmund instead of Aslan. And then she began to whet her knife. It looked to the children, when the gleam of torchlight fell on it, as if the knife were made of stone and not steel. And it was a strange and evil shape. As last she drew near, she stood by Aslan's head. Her face was working and twitching with passion. But she, <clears throat> but his looked up to the sky, still quiet, neither angry nor afraid, but a little sad. And then, just before she gave the blow, she stooped down and said in a quivering voice, And now, who has won? Fool! Did you think that by all this you would save the human traitor? Now, I will kill you instead, as our pact was, and so the deep magic will be appeased. But when you are dead, what will prevent me from killing him as well? And who will take him out of my hands then? Understand this. You have given me Narnia forever. You have lost your own life and you have not saved his. And in that knowledge and despair, die. The children did not see the actual moment of the killing. They couldn't bear to look and had covered their eyes. Bedtime Stories on 1707 Radio. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.